So I worked with uh, Morocco Exchange, which is a an exchange program that brings students from Spain over to Morocco to experience um, living with a Moroccan family, the culture. And so we would meet Moroccan students and they would have like a debate and discussion that I'd have to facilitate. Being in those discussions is where I was like, wow, this needs to be talked about. People need to understand. And so that's what kind of drove me into grad school, I think, a lot of it is knowing that people needed to understand these things. And even in my first couple of years of grad school, I didn't know how to talk about it, so I wouldn't. I was scared. And then I just decided on my thesis, I have to do it. Like, I can't sit back here and be scared of what people are going to say. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 125th episode, Dina Thomas Oasu joins me to talk about her sculptural and installation pieces that explore geopolitical politics and systems. And again, it's very interesting. We also want to Note that Dina is one of our 2014 MFA competition winners. Her work was selected by Richard Holland amongst many entries. So again, it's very exciting to have her on. We want to remind you that if you've never heard of Studio Break, we're a podcast and blog site. We feature a variety of different artists. They come on and speak with me about their work, their studio practice, their research, their techniques. And we share these interviews on Studio Break. Once again, you can access any of the old interviews through the archive button right there on the left sidebar and go month by month. Once again, each of the interviews have images of the artist's work, links to their website so you can contact them, and also a link to the iTunes store where you can subscribe to the podcast and never miss one that way. So please do that. We are, of course, on a variety of social media networks, so you can follow our Facebook page and like it or our Tumblr page, which is studio-break.tumblr, or you can follow us at Studio Break on Twitter. Again, there's hyperlinks to all of those, so please check them out, and please peruse Studio Break. And with that out of the way, here is our interview with Dina Thomas-Oasu, so stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break. I'm really excited this morning to be joined by Dina Thomas Oasu. How are you doing? I'm good. How's everything going there? Uh, things are going great. You know, you were one of our MFA finalists for this year's 2014 Studio Break competition. Richard Holland picked you, and you know, again, it's exciting to to have you on. And again, uh, also exciting because you're an alumni of SIU Carbondale, just like myself. So it's kind of nice to to link up with people that way. So again, thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thanks for choosing me. I'm so grateful to be here. Yeah, and so so I just want to just start out a little bit by just you just recently started. You are the fabrication lab manager at the University of New Mexico, is that right? Yes, correct. At the architecture and planning department. Excellent. That sounds uh like a nice uh new endeavor. So again, it's uh it's cool to see, you know, just even since the time that you applied, you've already moved on and uh doing new stuff. So that's very cool. Yeah. And yeah. you know, I, I typically like to start out just with a little bit of a background for people. So could you just kind of uh tell us where you're from, where you grew up, and then we'll kind of move forward from there. Yeah, so I'm originally from Hayes, Kansas, which is in the middle of Kansas. Um, I got my BFA there, too, as well, in sculpture, and 
I grew up always knowing that I wanted to be a sculptor, not always on the path of being a sculptor, but for some reason I really was drawn to working with my hands and those processes that it involved, I thought. And um, it's evolved over time completely from um, thinking that all sculpture is just welding and casting to sculpture can be using a CNC and 3D printers and um, yarn, for instance. So it's been really interesting process for me to learn from being a very small child and having a community that's really open to arts and putting that in my life constantly. So... And is that something that, you know, you kind of grew up with a lot of encouragement in terms of exploring and making and, you know, kind of doing things with your hands? I, it's weird because I always think about it in terms of like power tools is something that I don't know, most people maybe have, uh, you know, some relationship with. And I don't know how uh, fond I was of them as a, at a young age. But um... yeah, so I was very lucky. My stepdad, um, he taught me how to use tools and power tools. He's a rancher. Um, but so I was in 4-H and I had to make like birdhouses, but his whole idea of how to do things was you had to learn how to use the hand tools first. So I remember being about seven years old, trying to saw this board and couldn't do it, but he didn't just do it for me. He made me hold the saw and he put his hand behind my elbow and pushed it back and forth <laughs> for me. So, I mean, I, I wasn't always strong enough to do everything I wanted to do, but I was always my family found ways to adapt it so I could do it right, um, right, and made me do it. So I really am grateful for those experiences that they gave me. And then we moved on to power tools, but he was an industrial arts major. So his whole um, way of working is a little bit different than I've run into in the art field a lot of times too. So I've, I've been blessed to have all these different people coming from different backgrounds to teach me how to make things. Well, that's interesting. Again, I would think that, you know, being able to use hand tools would make you feel comfortable enough that you could use power tools. And so, you know, maybe taking like a, a sculpture class or a 3D class for the first time, um, maybe that would kind of like almost free you up to see, I guess, possibilities. It helps in seeing possibilities. Sometimes it's even better when you have no idea how to make something and you just have this idea and you are passionate about it and you're going to make that thing, right? So I've seen students that come in with that and they just figure out how this is going to work. And, you know, they ask lots of questions and that's good. But I, I was curious then too. So, I mean, did you have a lot of experience in terms of going to see art and experiencing art? You know, like, again, I, I keep coming back to this, um, you know, specifically, like, you knew you're going to be a sculpture artist. I mean, is that something that you kind of experienced some big things or? Yeah. So like my, my mom was an artist or is an artist, I should say. She is not completely formally trained, like having her degree and whatnot. Um, but she has taken classes. And when I was really young, she would take me to class with her. Mm -hmm. So I would go with her to the university to go to drawing classes and painting classes. And I mean, those were fun, but I always knew in my heart of hearts, like this isn't for me. Mm -hmm. And then in our town, they have the Arts Council, and they started gallery walks over 20 years ago, I think now. And so my parents would go on Friday nights to the gallery walks, and you'd walk around town. And it's grown from like two to three galleries from when I was small to, say, 10 to 15 that open up. Mm -hmm. Right. So uh, I had that experience of watching this blossoming art scene um, happening and there's a lot of folk art around us so I just had interactions with people in that way um no I did not get to go to the metropolitan or right. anything like that <laughs> um I didn't really see an art museum probably till I was in high school 
Well, and so I guess speaking of that then too. So I mean, you know, like in terms of like a just a general art education. I mean, did your did your uh, you know grade school and and high school kind of have opportunities for you to to study ceramics and yes. other so other media? I was very lucky. At our high school, we had three instructors, all with their MFAs. We did everything from jewelry to drawing and painting and ceramics. Um, and actually that's where I fell in love with sculpture is because they took, they signed me up for this class and they said sculpture. And I was like, Oh, okay. It's going to be like sculptural ceramics. Like I, I, that's all I could think of that they would do at the high school level. Um, and I showed up and the teacher was like, no, we're not going to do anything with ceramics this entire class. And I was like, Oh, Mm -hmm. I like this. And they started introducing all these different materials. And yes, it was just like introductory to plaster and introductory to wood and just very simple materials. Right. But that's what got me excited. I was like, wow, I can use any material. I don't just have to use one. Um, I think that has stuck with me over time. Like I'm not very good at just sticking to one material. Um, I really let my ideas dictate what material I'm going to use. Right. And I think that's pretty interesting and, you know, kind of apparent looking at the work now, you know, even to kind of hear you talking about it like this, it makes makes perfect sense to kind of have, you know, all of these different techniques, all these different processes and, and things like that. So pretty exciting to kind of be in that environment from an early, you know, early setting. So and, and where did you wind up going to undergraduate schools? At Fort Hayes State University in Kansas. It's in Hayes as well. Did you have like general education courses or were you kind of like set in terms of just starting, I guess, art right away when you were there? Or? Yeah. So, I mean, I took general education courses, but I was set in doing art. I took sculpture classes because from high school experience, I wanted to be a sculptor. Mm-hmm. Um, I was unhappy at one point in time. So I switched over to graphic design. And then when Toby Flores came into the program there, um, he was really excited and wanting to cast metal. And I was we were cast in iron and I was so excited. So I joined sculpture again. Um, and I think that having a really active professor who's excited about the work and very involved really helps bring students around. Right. Right. So I'm grateful to have met him, um, to be able to say I'm here now. (laughs) In terms of content, you know, like in those early classes, I mean, you know, you're learning or maybe pushing like technique a lot, but I mean, was, was there, you know, some kind of underarching kind of, or overarching rather, kind of thing that you were interested in exploring in terms of content? I was just really interested in process at that point in time. Like, I really wanted to know how, because I'm always fascinated with things that go from a solid to a liquid back to a solid again. Mm-hmm. Um, I find myself going to these materials often. So um, I was just really interested in the process of casting in undergrad. Yes, I had some content. I wouldn't say it was like out of this world amazing. It was more about stories and about my general life, right? So um, I often do draw from my life that is around me and what I have experienced just Mm -hmm. because that's the easiest for me to talk about. Sure. Well, and I think that kind of the most direct, you know, I mean, it's it's something that's interesting for me because I can think back to moments in undergrad where you know, you kind of want to put everything into what you're doing, into this big kind of like overarching thing that's going to affect lives almost, you know, you kind of think yeah. about it in this way. But it seems like that kind of working from that kind of experience is something that's pretty, pretty interesting, pretty important. So, And I think in undergrad, I, I tried to be a little bit more funny, mm-hmm. um, which is a good thing. I think that's something that's missing in art sometimes. Mm-hmm. 
so I try to play with that a lot more in undergrad than I did probably so in graduate school. And so were you exploring a lot of different sculptural materials and processes during this time? I'd have a welded form and then a cast form inside of it with limestone, you know, just trying to mix these different materials together. But it was still very like concrete and cast iron or cast iron and found objects. So I made like a weight bench, right? And then they were like pizzas on the end of the weight ben- weight bar. Right. But I'm I'm curious, you know, like in terms of the, the later work, you know, you have, you know, more installation kind of based pieces or ones that kind of involve more of this kind of like larger experience where you kind of making, you know, more, more like object based things or things that kind of explored scale or like the way that people could kind of be physical with these things as well or... Um, Yeah, so I've always been interested in how people can interact with my work, and I think it's something that I struggle with, right? Like trying to get people to want to interact with them. What is their reward? So those are things that I I work with. For some reason, I feel like that's the only way to draw people in to get them to contemplate it for more than a second Mm -hmm. and just walk by it as an object. But I would say... Even in undergrad, I I made things that people needed to interact with the object, even though they were objects. And what kind of art history were you interested in at the time? Were there any artists in particular that, you know, kind of inspired you or, you know, you were kind of influenced by? In undergrad, like Tony Craig and just a few people and Richard Serra. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of my undergrad experience with understanding research and um, art history just wasn't really there, and that didn't come through for me till I was in graduate school. Well, it seems like, again, like the start of kind of mastering all these crafts, which, again, you know, like as I already said once, I mean, it's, it seems like there's there's a lot of that going on, a lot of, you know, mixed materials and approaches and that. So I guess, you know, in that sense, it kind of makes a lot of sense. Um, did, you, did you wind up having like a, a culminating like senior thesis kind of exhibition or... Something like that? Um, at or? that time, they did not do that. We just made all of our work, and um, you showed maybe one or two pieces on your own. So I just had my own little thing. Sure. Well, and so how did you, how did you wind up coming to graduate school? What um, what was what was the decision there? So I, I knew I wanted to go to graduate school when I was an undergrad, but at the same time, when I was done with undergrad, I wasn't ready to commit to graduate school. I wasn't sure about what I wanted to do, why I was doing it. So I stepped back, took a few breaths, and I always knew I wanted to do the Peace Corps. Mm-hmm. So I joined the Peace Corps and went to Morocco and spent two years there. And then I fell in love and met this guy. So um, I was planning on staying in Morocco because he's Moroccan. And mm-hmm. we talked, And but I also knew I wanted my master's degree and I wanted to get that sculpture degree And so after talking with him, we decided that we would come back to the States for me to pursue my dreams so that if anything ever happened, I could never say, like, you held me back. Right, right. So I was lucky to have someone that was supporting me and doing that because that was a scary step for me because I had it so good there. Yeah, I was going to say, what what was that experience like? I mean, again, you're going from Kansas to Morocco. I mean... It's crazy. Like, I can't believe I did it some days and other days... I'm just like, yeah, it was easy. <laughs> you know? Sure. Um, I remember showing up to my first host family and 
the two days, three days prior, they had been teaching us Moroccan Arabic. And they said, this is how you say hello. Salamu alaikum. And um, this is how you say goodbye. You know, like we went through all these things. And then um, they went through and asked us what language we wanted to learn. And I said, and I had a friend that was in Morocco previous and I knew he was in the rural area and that's kind of where I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. Um, So I said, I want to learn Amazigh, which is Berber. And uh, so they were like, okay, nobody comes in asking for that language. Right. (laughs) Um, and so they're like, yeah, sure, you could do it. <laughs> but it's apparently one of the harder ones to learn. Mm-hmm. I didn't know this going in. And I'm not fluent in any way, means. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so they sent me to my host family and they said, okay, they only speak Amazigh. And I was like, okay. And so when I went in, I didn't realize that I could still say hello to them in Berber or in Arabic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I could have, but I was like so intimidated and I just remember them like the whole night like pointing at a chair and telling me what the chair was right, right. at the table. <laughs> and it was like being a three-year-old and being retaught how to live my life. And it was it was interesting to see it from that perspective of being an adult and like knowing that like I'm not dumb. I get it, but I I don't. Like I it's taking me so long to catch up and Learning that rebuilding process of yourself, I think, just really helped me understand myself a little bit better and how I learn. Yeah, that's I mean, that's really fascinating just to think about it in that setting, because you're you're really kind of, you know, forced to start over in a way that even kind of going to a college, it doesn't really, you know, you kind of do that, but not in the sense that you can't really communicate effectively with well, it's so frustrating sometimes when you see your friends who did it the same time you did, you know, the same amount, and they're just excelling, you know, and you're just like, oh, <laughs> am I still here? Sure. Well, but then you meet them a couple of weeks later, and then you're ahead of them in some aspect. So it's interesting to see what you learn because you need to know what that means. Mm-hmm. Well, and so I'm curious, too. I mean, did you see potential in terms of, you know, thinking about this as, as something that you could potentially work with? I mean, were you doing anything, you know, like in terms of like art, art, art wise while you were there? Yeah. So I worked at a disability association, um, where they did handicrafts. So my whole job was based around my art background. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, but it was also business related. So my job was to come in and kind of be a consultant in a way, um, to this association. So they made everything from rugs to, to embroidery to, they welded gates. And so I tried to work with the boys in the welding room a lot because when I walked in, they weren't being safe about things. They weren't wearing anything when they were welding. And I was just like, oh, my goodness, you can't do this. (laughs) You're going to get skin cancer. Oh, my gosh, you're going to like blind yourself. But then it's interesting working in this association because all the kids that were welding were deaf and mute as well. So not only do I not have all of their language, we had no communication because they're there was like some sign language, mm-hmm. but they were never trained because they didn't go to school for this. Right. So it was just kind of whatever they did in the street to be able to speak. And thank goodness Morocco is very good with using their hands no matter mm-hmm. what. <laughs> so they almost have a sign language in general. Like you can understand what they're saying without actually understanding. So I had to pick that up as well And so I just went back to what I knew how to do. So I went back to drawing and I drew little cartoons out and we'd be like, I'd have different pants and sandals. And I'd be like, what are you like asking them? What do you have to put on to start welding? And then they'd have to like show me on this paper doll. Right. 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 
So I always was having to find a different way to communicate. And I think that's really important, both as an artist and as an instructor, um, because I think that there are so many different ways to communicate that our first way isn't always the best way and having to think about it. No, no, completely. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a really interesting story. And so you 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 did this for two years. You you know met someone and, and decided to to get married and move back to the states to pursue your MFA. So yeah, and in between that, I was because I stayed an extra like six months or so. I worked with uh, Morocco Exchange, which is a an exchange program that brings students from Spain over to Morocco to experience um, living with a Moroccan family, the culture, and having discussions about Islam and the West. Mm-hmm. And so we would meet Moroccan students and they would have like a debate and discussion that I'd have to facilitate. And I think that's where um, being in those discussions is where I was like, wow, this needs to be talked about. People need to understand. And so that's what kind of drove me into grad school. I think a lot of it is knowing that people needed to understand these things. And even in my first couple of years of grad school, I didn't know how to talk about it. So I wouldn't, Right. I was scared. And then I just decided on my thesis, I have to do it. Like I can't sit back here and be scared of what people are going to say. And so what was that like? I mean, first of all, to come back to the States from Morocco, you know, after having all of these experiences must've been kind of different, but then also to kind of move to Carbondale, which is in Southern Illinois and, you know, certainly is an interesting town, very eclectic, um, but, you know, certainly different if you maybe grew up in Kansas. I think it's funny because I came back and I didn't, I felt like I didn't know how to talk to people hmm. <laughs> like in a normal way and not talk about like the Arab Spring or different things that I was experiencing the spring before. Right. And they would talk about movies and just pop culture references that I didn't get. And I felt like the dumbest person in the room. <laughs> I was just like, oh, my gosh, why am I here? When you start an MFA you know, there might be some emphasis in terms of especially like exploring, you know, like, what are you going to do differently? What are you going to bring that you didn't have before? And right. so was that something that even though maybe you were kind of, you know, like you you maybe, I don't know how to, the right word, but you're kind of maybe hesitant or, you know, maybe came to it, you know, fully like for your, your MFA thesis show. I mean, was that something that you still kind of started to explore then when you got back as like, how do I put this content in the work? I only knew casting and welding at the time, and I just couldn't understand how to put my ideas of what I had been through into this medium. And so Mm -hmm. I wouldn't make things about it, right? Um, But I still tried to... I went back to what I was comfortable with, my first couple pieces. And then um, I just started to explore like what was annoying to me about being back in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I was going through all this frustration of people not understanding. Um, and so then I was like, well, then I'll just make work about that. And so I just started making quick little things, right, um, with everyday materials that I could find. Um, and then it just grew into, okay, now that you've done this and got it out of your system, how do you talk about these issues? And then I started, I was introduced to a CNC, like my, uh, semester there, Mm -hmm. they had just gotten it and they were like, okay, put this together. Um, you and this other tech are going to, I was like, okay. I was like, what is it? What does it do? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even know what it was, you know? And, so it grew from that, just like my fascination of I'm putting together this machine and I don't even know how to use it. Um, 
And so it made me want to learn how to use it. So throughout the next year, I spent learning just the basic processes of using it. And I really think it takes time. And I was still doing other things as well. well. But I think it really takes time to figure out these machines to figure out how they're going to benefit you in the end. Um, if it's not going to benefit you, then don't use them, of course. And just to clarify, what, what kind of machine is this? That... A CNC router. Okay, okay. Yeah, so... And does this allow you to kind of make like really like essentially like intricate design things? Right. Like, so my puzzle map that I had, okay. uh, that was made on a CNC router. Okay. It can make, you can make anything like you can just design it on the computer and then upload it into this program. It's a little bit more complicated than that, but, and then it cuts it out for you basically. Well, and it's interesting because that kind of like Star Trek, style idea or i don't know it seems like that's going to be coming more and more to the forefront too especially with you know 3d printing and you know just all of these tools that become available so it's interesting to think about how those new new processes can kind of impact what you do well and i i almost think like i love them and i think they're great and they have their place and everything but it's it's frustrating when you go from one machine to another because they use completely different programs and Mm -hmm. um so now i'm learning rhino because the program i'm at doesn't do anything else like doesn't use any other programs so it's just it's it's frustrating to me because i feel like i'm constantly learning this um software program Mm -hmm. and maybe not making enough Right, (laughs) right right so then i'm like maybe i should go away from this but for right now it's part of my job so sure (laughs) sure doing it I don't know that that ever changes. It, it like, kind of like not being in your studio seems like you're not doing something right. I don't know. When I feel like a, as a sculptor, you're a, you can do a little bit of everything, but you're not really a master of anything. Like, right, you just, right. You know a little bit. <laughs> but like, what are what are some other things that you can kind of think of in terms of informing you um, in terms of of this time? You know, you talked a little bit before about how you hadn't re- really focused much as much on uh, art history and, and contemporary art at the time. Was that something that also kind of was, um, I don't know, changing the way that you thought maybe you could approach these? During graduate school, like I was introduced to a lot more artists that seemed more relevant to me, mm-hmm. um, like Mona Hatoum and Janine Antoni. Um, I felt like their processes and their ideas of how to make things really hit home, especially Mona Hatoum, like, her work is just so elegant and beautiful and straight to the point, but not so in your face that you don't want to look at it. So I really enjoy that about her work. And I, that's, I think that was what my, I started to strive towards, right? Like I want to be more like that, not put so much into it that people don't even want to approach it. Right. I want to make it approachable and then be like, Oh wait, what is this? (laughs) Like, like I like my map, for example, I want to be like, oh, it looks like a friendly little child's toy. Right. And then it's like, wait, what is this thing? And right. OK, now that there's this color map next to it. OK, I can read the different tribes, like figure it out type of thing. Well, and and I guess because, you know, you, you've kind of talked a bit about, you know, a lot of exploration and then, you know, kind of maybe, you know, feeling like, again, you want all these things to add up to something that you can kind of create a discussion with. So. How did you come up with your idea for what your your thesis was going to be? Did you have a a specific idea going into it? Did you know what you wanted to do? I don't ever think I knew everything till about March. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
I I knew one piece at a time, like the towers came first. Um, it's just like little quotes or little things that resonate with me that I hear in the media or also just reading the news and how people are reacting to um, the Middle East and North Africa. And so those little things, the tower started and I was just like, okay. So and it was kind of like Obama's quote of um, the red line. And so like that to me was just like, where is this red line? What is this red line? You know, like I just, I become obsessed with like, like little things, silly little things. And so I was just like, okay, um, so we can just raise and lower it whenever we want, because for these people, it's chemical weapons for these people. It's just pushing them off their land. You know what I mean? Like, right. Why, why are we so arbitrary about what we're doing here? And so it, it started with that and just, and then I was like, okay, well, I have to make more work that goes along this theme or else it's not going to work. Well, it, it, to talk, I guess, specifically about that towers piece, cause I'm, I'm looking at it right now, you know, is, is it, is it something that like partially the idea of it too, is that it's something that would be adjustable then so that it kind of talks about that. I don't know the, the way that it's treated, I guess, or at least I guess perceived in terms of like a. I don't know, being from like a, a U.S. kind of standpoint, something that can be just kind of altered to kind of suit needs or. Yeah, so it's it's definitely able to be altered by moving it up and down the rungs, but it also has a little um, like reel on one side and mm-hmm. not on the other side. So the other side really can be like, I'm way down here. I need your help. <laughs> but the other side can, you know, reel it closer to them or pull it away. So it's about one side having more power than the other, no matter what. Well, and it seems interesting to them because also like the way that it's positioned is also something that can kind of be changed. Right. In like some images, it seems like they're kind of almost closer and then in some like kind of further away. So I don't know. It seems like especially kind of getting back to this idea of, I guess, finding a way to kind of engage people. I mean, maybe this is something that that can kind of do it in a way, but then also, I don't know, allows it to be kind of manipulated or changed maybe each time they experience it yeah so they're definitely completely allowed to touch the artwork it's fine move it around and change the context even of them if they want because i feel like it's beautiful thing if it can be taken out of what i think it is right Mm -hmm. Um, and applied to another metaphor or idea just because i think there are so many different red lines in our life be it war or um environmentalist reasons you know like we have so many different things going on where this can be applied it's not just this one idea so i really appreciate if people do interact with the work and kind of change it so if we move out of the map piece you know one of the things that i'm curious about are all the intricate shapes is this is the one that was made with the cnc router is it something where you know it's kind of talking about the border relationships between these changing and and how they're kind of altered or Yeah, it's about the fluidity of borders and um, really the border that it cuts out is the 1928 decision after the war to um, decide where these countries are, right? So how Syria got cut up and how it's like four, three to four different tribes, you know, and how Saudi Arabia is made up of these different tribes and how these tribes, like people always say that people are warring in the Middle East, well, or the governments cut them up into... um, 
certain nations, right? And said like, you are Saudi Arabia, you are Yemen. And then they didn't really look at the tribes within inside. And maybe some of those tribes didn't get along the whole time anyways. Mm -hmm. And then you're putting one tribe in power over the other. And there's just like, I feel like there's a lot of meddling that's always happened. And then we blame people for it. Right. So maybe it's just like a stand back, get out of the way. And, and the only reason I think tribal um, clans are very important is because of my time in Morocco. Mm -hmm. And I understand like the tribe I lived with doesn't actually get along like in back say 20 years ago, doesn't get along with, the tribe next door perfectly, right? They have like little issues and tiffs over land and it's over where their sheep can graze. It's completely over that, right? So um, I just, and they used to always tease me about it. Like, oh, you're from our tribe. You can't go marry him because he's from a different tribe. Like right. it was just like a fun joke for them, right? But it was also something that was serious and not that long ago. And I think that some of these things still hold true no matter where you're at in the world. Well, and I think it's important to kind of be able to bring that up in discussion, you know, how how the United States policy might affect countries around the world and, you know, how it chooses to interact with them or kind of create an environment that, you know, might be appealing towards different interests or... My fascination with the Middle East kind of comes from when I was five years old watching the Gulf War happen because um, my brother's very politically motivated. And so he would have it on the TV all the time. And I just remember that being my first TV memory. And I'm like, what did you do to me? Right, right. <laughs> like, and when my parents even saw the show, they were, they looked at me and they're like, oh, man, you're jaded. <laughs> they walked off. Oh, I was like, oh, man. so unfortunate. There's that 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 quote that I'll completely mangle, but like, you know, those that forget history are doomed to repeat it. I don't have the answers either. I just want the conversation to happen because people are like, oh, well, you talk about this. So what's your answer? And I'm like, there's no answer. Like it's, we need an open dialogue here. Not just one way is the right way. A couple of other pieces here that especially we could talk about one that kind of strikes me. There's a piece with uh, what looks like a suspended, I don't know if it's a cast form over mm -hmm. like a series of pallets. And then it looks like almost like a, gosh, it looks like a frozen piece of sand. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, so what's this piece about? The pendulum's kind of like this old way of finding oil and uh, kind of like a witching stick almost, you know? Mm -hmm. So we're just going to say it is wherever it is because this is basically how they found oil. They were The British were in the Middle East for quite a while. They were getting ready to give up. They had sent the letter to say, give up, no more looking for oil. The day before the letter arrived, they struck oil. Um, so... It, to me, it's just like this, we're just going to walk in the middle of the desert and start poking down holes. And I mean, some of it, the technology has changed over time. Yes, they're better than they were, but they're still not better. And why are we not moving towards something more sustainable? And so the oil underneath bubbles, there's like a um, water pump in there. Mm -hmm. So it helps make the oil kind of like bubble and be tumultuous. So I really believe that the stealing of this natural resource is kind of like what has brought about a lot of problems, right? So, and why we let so many things go in the U.S. So, um, for example, we're mad at people, we're mad at ISIS for beheading um, people, which I completely understand and agree with. But at the same time, Saudi Arabia has also beheaded several people 
um, 19 or more people in the last month as well as a charge. But we agree with them because they have a natural resource that we want. Right. So why can we speak out against one and not the other? And it's kind of the sad, the sad state of affairs that we're in too, where it's, it's almost like your, your coverage of it is something that you have to kind of seek out and, you know, right. kind of become informed. You have to choose to kind of become informed, you know? And it's really hard. Like that's, that's something I think I realized when I was in Morocco, cause, um, in 2008, I believe it was when Israel and Palestine were having a war in December mm-hmm. and I had just arrived in my town and I didn't really know anybody or anything, but my host family. And they just, they started protesting on the street. And my host family said, you know, if you see anything suspicious, just go to the police or come home, just start walking home. And, um, and not that they were super worried about me, but they just wanted me to know that I was safe and people were watching out for me and who to go to. But the thing was, when I was watching the news at night with them, I thought, you know, if this is what I saw on the news, I would be out there too. Sure. And this is not what my family is seeing in the States. So like just understanding that there are two different perspectives that are being projected and there is no real middle ground between anybody. So, and that was the first time I had like seen media bias, like on a completely different scale, like completely you know, polar opposites, really. Well, and I, I think kind of getting back to this piece that we we're just talking about, too. I mean, I think the other thing that's so interesting about it, too, you know, is that it is on and it might just be because of the ease and kind of moving it about. But I really like that it's on a palette. Mm-hmm. You know, like I really like how you can kind of see it as a material. You know, you think about all of these relationships as as kind of like raw materials. And it makes you wonder about, again, you know, what they're what they're talking about, what they're describing in a way. And again, that's kind of something that's interesting because, you know, it kind of moves between uh, from piece to piece. Um, and so there's, there's another one you that you have of um, what looks like a, a video projection. So are these interviews or I mean, how, what's the, the relationship that you have with the I guess the the people uh, presented in in the projections in the box. Okay, so that's actually it, it's always better seen as a video. Mm-hmm. So what it is, it's a two-way mirror. And so when you walk up to it, the mirror is just, you know, like it's as if you see yourself. And then there's a sensor that flips it on so you see that image. So then Mm -hmm. when you're looking at it, you can see yourself with inside the image of this um, Arab man. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's just to, like, gain that empathy, being able to see yourself inside of another person. um, Being back in the States and being in a rural area and like I come from a rural area where, you know, people aren't always the most sensitive about how they talk about subjects or they don't have the experience. And so watching my husband go through that, you know, was really hard for me sometimes. And having people that I know and love say, oh, he's really nice for being a Muslim. Um, it's like heartbreaking, you know, and it's just, but at the same time, I'm like, you know what, at least they had that experience with him. I'm glad that they're having this experience. They can say that now. No. And again, I think that's interesting because again, you kind of, people tend to fear just, you know, things that they they know nothing about, you know? Right. So, I mean, it's just kind of this way of confronting them and being like in their face a little bit, but not like, I mean, they can walk away. It's not like it's going to hurt them or telling them they're stupid. The show pieces and it really kind of seem to find ways to kind of, I don't know, bring about that interaction in different ways, which is is something that's really kind of interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's my whole goal is just to like get people to stop and think and interact with it for 
a few seconds. And so I guess, you know, to kind of get back to maybe just some of the general ideas then, I mean, were, were, you were saying that people were kind of looking for answers or, you know, was this was this a, a way that people really were able to start kind of like engaging in discussion and, and talking about it? I think some people were able to start engaging in discussion while others, you know, are just like, oh, she's talking about, you know, this political situation again, how boring, how whatever, you know what I mean? You're going to get that no matter what. But I really do think that people through the interaction had more to talk about Mm -hmm. than say if they didn't have it. So there's like also a spying piece that goes with it um, where people are like pushing these little – it was like an Amore pattern of the Middle East and North Africa, right? But it was done with bolt remnants that I got from a bolt manufacturer and put them in this pattern. And then it was like a war room type thing where you could start pushing it around and people, it was such an abstracted map that people didn't really think about it, you know, like they just started pushing it around. But then I had a camera pointed down that was doing a live feed over to a video iPad on the wall. Um, and when they walked around the, the wall, they started to see like, oh, when I do this, they're spying on me and they see everything I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, that was relating back to like how half of these wars are on the internet and you can watch them live and just see what people are doing and how they're doing it. And it's just, it's in some ways it's really disgusting to me and I cannot watch them because it's just too much because I'm very sensitive and I cry a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I do actually like, I, I can't fathom like how these things happen and, um, it is really hard for me to think about it a lot of times, and it, it does pull on my emotions. So I think that's also why I make them in this more friendly, interactive way, because I feel like a lot of people feel that way, so they don't pay attention to them. That's why I'm going towards this more friendly, open, beautiful colors that draw people in. It's interesting, you know, like in terms of a challenge, you know, like how do you make this a conversation that people can become engaged with or, you know, how do you set up these experiences to do that? I mean, that's a really interesting and and at the same time, I mean, it's got to be something that you, you're always thinking about in terms of like, how can I find different ways to do this? Yeah. And there's always a million different ways and I just have to choose one and then say next time I'll do it the other way. <laughs> and so is there is there anything in, in particular that you're working on now? Again, we, we just talked at the very beginning of this podcast. You just moved to Albuquerque to start a fabrication lab manager job at uh, the University of New Mexico. So I'm sure, you know, you're busy uh, <laughs> learning a lot of things. But I mean, are, are there things that you're kind of working through now that you're you're excited about? Yeah, so I'm I'm going to make some smaller maps that are more like handheld, but go more through the history and have them laser cut and have it on the have it engraved on there where they are. Um be a little bit more explicit of what I'm mapping out. Mm-hmm. Um and then I also have some CNC routes that I'm going to work on. Um but I got to learn the programs first. That's where I'm at right now. I'm just and I'm just starting to learn how to use laser cutters and plasma cutter and new CNC routers. So it's just like a whole bunch of things. And then I just want to make some stuff that's based on form and the beauty of form, like and start doing some vacuum forming as well. Well, again, it's just such an interesting time for you in, in terms of you know where you're at. You know, you have all these resources. And you're going to pull upon these new experiences. And again, you're the one that's really kind of defining, you know, what you're interested in, what you're going to explore. So, again, it's a it's an interesting time for you. 
And I, I think it's weird because I'm like, I've had these ideas and I need to get to work and I, I haven't been working. And I even call my friend from grad school every once in a while that I always relied on. And it's just like, man, <laughs> we got to get to work. What do we do? But it's like, we got to pay the bills too. <laughs> so it's interesting to like have that going on right now and trying to figure out that balance. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's always so necessary, but I think again, I mean, it's one of those things where as long as you're, you know, it sounds like, again, you're going to be there to do the work. And as long as you're, you're fitting it in, you're getting it done. Um, you know, interesting things will happen. So, and I'm really excited. There seems to be some interesting little places to show around here and I've been entering some exhibition shows. So hopefully I'll get in and we'll see what happens. You know, again, I, I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, you know, again, it was a pleasure to talk to you about your work and, you know, it's really interesting stuff. So, so thanks again. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad that we could, uh, you know, feature you as, uh, one of our MFA winners, uh, very proudly. So thanks again. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. Thanks once again to Dina for joining us, and you can check out her work at dinafineart.com. I do want to remind you that if this is the first time you heard a studio break, you do want to check out some of the other interviews. Again, there's a bunch right up on the homepage when it loads up, but you can also access old archives through the left sidebar button that says archives. Just go month by month. Check out any of the great interviews that you might have missed. Again, each of those have links to the artist's website, images of their work, and these lengthy interviews so you can find out more about them. So if you'd like to find out a bit more about me as the host of Studio Break, you can check out my artwork at davidlinway.com. There is a hyperlink for that. Once again, you can follow Studio Break on a variety of different social media networks. You can follow our Facebook page and like it. Again, we do provide previews of some of the guests that are coming up. We share show announcements and opportunities, things like that. So please like our Facebook page. It is an open forum. So again, if you have interesting things to share on our timeline, feel free to do so. Once again, we do have a Tumblr account. That's studio-break.tumblr. So please follow us there. And our Twitter handle is at Studio Break. So please send us some cool tweets of artwork and what's going on in your studio. Once again, if you did like today's interview, we recommend that you go to the iTunes store, subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss one. And if you'd be so kind to leave us some comments there, again, it does help out with general visibility. There's a lot of people listening to things on their commutes, and you might be able to help one of them find one like Studio Break. So please go ahead and help us out there. And of course, spread the word. We really appreciate it. We do have a few show announcements in Springfield, especially. Tom Burtonwood and Holly Holmes have a show called Copy Shop that opens at the University of Illinois Springfield. And the next day, November 7th, that's Friday, Joshua Cox and Dawn Gettler Revere opens at Demo Project. And if you remember, we spoke with Jeff Robinson and Allison Locker, who work in both the University of Illinois Springfield Visual Art Gallery and Demo Project. So again, kind of a double opener in Springfield. You can also check out the work of Brian Kapernakis from there to here. It runs in Chicago through November 22nd at 65 grand. We also want to thank Skylar Mail for providing the music for Studio Break. You can check out his artwork at SkylarMail.com. Thanks so much for listening to our show. We really appreciate it, and we'll talk to you real soon.